You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We have been in a sermon series called Keeping Score. Uh, it's this idea where we, we're kind of asking the question of how do we respond when we're treated differently than maybe we expected. Maybe we didn't get something that we really thought we, we should get, or maybe someone spoke to us in a way that we didn't believe we should be spoken to. And so how do we respond in that moment? Are, are we kind of keeping score in the wrongs that have been done to us, or are we losing count and we're, we're giving forgiveness where forgiveness is needed, or we're, we're giving grace where grace is needed? Are we showing generosity to those in need? And this week, uh, week three, week one, we talked about forgiveness. Week two, we looked at generosity. And then today, week three, we are looking at the idea of pride. If you're taking notes this morning, as you walked in, you should have got a bulletin. uh, And on the back of the bulletin, there's a note section. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Don't Climb the Ladder. Don't Climb the Ladder. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. So if you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to turn there with me. We have some Bibles on the back uh, table back there. If you don't have one, we'd love for you to take that with you. It's a gift from us to you. Uh, my words don't matter as much as God. So let's open it up together. So before we dive into the text, I want to kind of set up and kind of go where we're, uh, God, God is leading us. So we're talking about pride this morning. There, there's a, a fictional character named Marcellus Wallace from the famous movie Pulp Fiction. He says this. Pride only hurts you. It never helps. Pride only hurts you. It never helps. In November, uh, the year 1095, one of the most famous and probably one of the most impactful sermons ever given was preached in Claremont, France, at a council of pastors and church leaders. They gathered together and this one priest stands in front of a multitude of leaders, and he begins to kind of unpack God's word. And he began as this kind of sermon as a unifying body of we need to stand firm in Christ together through the power of his spirit. We are the body. So let's go be the body. And by the time it ends, a shift had happened. A, a, a very declarative shift had happened in the room. Now, the guy who gave this sermon was Pope Urban II. You may have heard of him because he was the speaker of that sermon who then starts the Crusades. So for the next 300 years, death, massacre, all the things happened. And I would argue, and I think most historians would argue, that what began as Pope Urban's sermon as a unifying, let's be of God, quickly turned into a prideful dissertation on how we need to take land and how we need to get money. And it turns into this prideful, arrogant thing from Pope Urban. Now, that's easy for me to say because I'm a thousand years removed from his situation. We've had all sorts of historians look at it and pile through it. In case you didn't know, I wrote my my final dissertation in in college about this. So I studied it for a good six or seven months. So that's not me. Just, you know, I read a blog last night and I came up here and gave you that sermon. (laughs) I was actually in the French text, in the German text, and even in the Latin. No, I can't read any of those three languages. So, yes, it was translated to me. But the bottom line is whether you believe in the pride of the Crusades or whatever not, I hope you can certainly see there is profits to be had in war. 
There's things that people get from moments. And if we're not careful with the moment that God has given us, we can turn something that was supposed to be this sweet and perfect time to unify the body into maybe something that's divisive and something that's controlling and something that's not meant to be what God had ever meant for it to be. As we turn our eyes this morning to Jesus and, and the text that he, he's going to kind of unveil for us, I, 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 I want to ask you, has there ever been a moment in your life where you're kind of maybe navigating something with someone, maybe having a relation, relational speed bump, maybe it's at work, maybe it's home, whatever it is. Has there ever been a moment where you can, you can now step back and you go, man, that started off on the right path. Maybe it's a disagreement, something that started off on the right path. But quickly, my pride got in the way of a solution. It was kind of like this moment where I no longer was fighting for the relationship, but I was fighting to win the conversation. You know what I mean? Or are you perfect? Because I've been there, right? I started off as a, I'm fighting for the relationship that we can make a resolution. And then they said something that just squalled me up. And I'm like, no, I'm going to win this battle. I don't care nothing about your feelings, right? You've been there, hopefully, or I'm just alone on the island and maybe, you know, that's all right. Thank you. I think pride and, and self-righteousness don't always take their beginnings, their genesis in this declaration of war. They, they, they start in what seemingly is an innocent phrase, an innocent action, and quickly they can go somewhere else. You're driving down the road. That person doesn't use a blinker. They almost hit you. And in that moment, you're fiery mad, right? You're like, you got a blinker for a daggone reason. And you slow down and you go, hold on. Have I used my blinker every time in every situation at every possible turn in my life? No, probably not, unless you're perfect. Which, again, you're not. <laughs> but you're fighting mad in that moment, right? You're like, they're the wrong, they're the wrong ones. They could have hurt me and my kids. There's no kids in the car, but I'm going to say it anyway. They could have, right? And you, instead, we could just slow down and go... I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what's happening. Maybe they're rushing to the hospital and they're in a hurry. Maybe, maybe they're having the worst day ever. Road rage, right? Gets the best of us or the worst of us, I just said. Maybe you're in a relational tiffy. I never get in those with my wife because I'm always right. <laughs> but you're in that conversation. And in the moment, you, you can just be quiet and listen and be graceful in your response. But instead you see an opportunity to pounce on their character. To pounce on a previous decision that they've made. And so in your pride, because you're not wrong, you're right. Instead of fighting for the relationship with them, you fight to win the conversational battle. Whatever the case may be. And we've all got different situations where pride has gotten the best of us. Jesus dealt with pride in the scripture and he gives us a way to look to the cross where he says, I have nailed it there and it is dead. So come to me and seek the answers on where to bury your pride. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dive into this very important text in Matthew chapter 23, addressing pride. I know Amy read it earlier, but I want to kind of walk through verse by verse, if you would. So beginning in verse one. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds, 
and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Now, I want to pause there. I want to kind of lean in to some abstract things that are in this text so that we can understand what's going on. Jesus says to these people and his disciples, a lot of folks around, the scribe and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, this can be, you know, in your mind, oh, what is this? Is this like some ornate chair? No, this is generally a, a comment to, in, in Jesus' day, modern rabbis and, and, and teachers, when they preached, when they taught, they would literally sit down. If you've watched, watched the, uh, the, the, the series The Chosen, you may have seen Jesus and others do this. When he's teaching his disciples, he, he, he sits down. And, and many rabbis at the time would do this same thing. So instead of standing in front of a crowd, they, they would kind of gather them near and sit down while they then teach. And, and so you, you have this great picture of a leader who is sitting down in front of his people leading. And so Jesus addresses this, and he calls it Moses' seat. And what this is doing is he's drawing us into understand the great responsibility that comes in teaching. And I think more importantly, as we unpack later, what is the teaching? And ultimately, who's actually doing the teaching? But he's kind of leaning us in right here in these first couple of moments as he's teaching the people and ultimately teaching us that they've been given a platform. These teachers who sit on Moses' seat have been given a platform and this place does demand a certain respect level, a place where people need to kind of listen. But what what does he say right after he mentions Moses' seat? He says, so do and observe whatever they tell you. So listen and follow But then he says, what? But don't watch what they do. Because it doesn't always line up. And and he's kind of leaning into this idea that these these leaders are, they're they're missing something. And we'll get to what they're missing here in just a moment. But James actually kind of refers to this in one of his passages. James chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so James is highlighting the fact that as Christ followers, we've all been called to make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit of all nations. So we're doing this to everybody. But when you kind of take on this mantle of a leader, of a teacher, of a pastor, there's a greater responsibility there. And so Jesus is looking at these leaders and saying, you have missed it. But there's something deeper that we want to make sure that we're understanding what he's saying. What he's saying to them isn't necessarily that they've missed it because they're leading improperly. They've missed it because they're not following God properly. Right? That their their iniquities aren't necessarily in their leadership. It's not that they needed another great leadership book. It's that they needed to learn how to follow God. And that's a message that you and I can receive nearly every single day. Where you lead at your job, you can be the greatest leader ever. But if you don't learn how to follow the Lord in that, you'll never lead well. You might lead well to the standards of this world, but you won't lead lead well to his kingdom. So Jesus is calling out that there's certainly a a great weight on leaders. But Jesus isn't highlighting their iniquities as leaders. He's highlighting the fact that their failures as followers of God is much more prominent. Let's continue. 
So Moses, see, they're sitting down, follow what they do. I follow what they say, maybe not what they do because they're messing up. They don't practice what they preach. Verse three, he goes in to talk about what they're doing. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So here Jesus says, okay, they don't practice what they preach. And I'm going to tell you, here's what they're practicing. And he goes through their list of failures. And, and, and ultimately, it, it is the responsibility of these leaders to shepherd and to guide and, and to not lay heavy burdens on the people. But what does Jesus say they're doing? That he, they're doing that exact thing. First Peter 5, beginning in verse 2. This is kind of a command to, to leaders. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, not for that really good seat at the table, right? But eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. These leaders loved the prestige and the prominence that leadership brought them, but not the responsibility and the work that came with it. You ever find yourself there? You love all the joys and all the things of leadership. My battery's dead. But you don't always love what comes with it. The hard parts that come with leadership. <clears throat> Truthfully, let, let, let's, let's kind of, if you'll allow me, if you'll indulge me, let me, let me turn into a... You don't want to put the batteries in for me? Man, I'm, I got the high seat at the table. <laughs> I'll just rest it with you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you'll indulge me for, for just a moment, and let me take a, a, a little left turn as we kind of dive in. Now I'm unplugged to, to what, what is going on here. Check, 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 check. There we go. These leaders aren't alone in their leadership and their time. It's not stuck in this little time capsule. A lot of pastors have gone, they got the undergrad they went to seminary and got all this amazing training. They got ordained. And within three years of, in the, of serving in the ministry, they found themselves questioning ministry altogether. Barna recently, a national Christian study group, released that over 50% of pastors under the age of 45 have thought about seriously quitting ministry altogether. And, and, and I want us to lean into what, what, what Jesus is, is kind of calling out in these pharisaical leaders I don't want us to lose track. Like I said, this is kind of a, a side note. But leadership is hard. And I know I say this as your pastor, but, but I'm saying this at, as a member of this church with you. Pray for your pastors and pray for other pastors. Because pastoral ministry is an island like none other. You're, you're in a leadership position where, as Jesus has said, has put you on this kind of pedestal that you can't ever live up to. And, uh, and, and please know this is not like me venting to you. This is me thinking about our staff, thinking about other pastors and friends that, I, that I've done ministry with for a long time. I have great friends in the ministry. And I've seen it time and time and time again that they've just been eaten up by pride, 
They've been eaten up by loneliness. And so I, I just plead with, with you as the leader of this place that God has called me to, to say, pray for me. Pray for my spouse. Pray for our other staff. Pray for the other churches in our community. That these leaders will lead first at home and then the church and not the other way around. Because home is first. So that's my, that's my little side. Thank you for indulging me. John Ortberg says that leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate that they can stand. Leadership is the art of disappointing people at the rate that they can stand. And so as we get back to this text, I want us to, I'm not dismissing what these Pharisaical leaders did. I'm not trying to say, oh, let's just give them abundant grace. Jesus necessarily didn't, right? He calls them out because of this reason that the leaders weren't failing as leaders. They were failing as followers, as we all are. We are followers of Jesus. If you're in this room and you've put your faith into Jesus Christ, you are a follower. Has he called you to lead? Absolutely. But first and foremost, every good leader follows. And that's what he's called us to. They lacked integrity. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever, whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the, ho- the housetops. These leaders, the, these, these Jesus, you know, hoping, looking towards Messiah people, right? They didn't, they didn't believe that Jesus was him yet. But they were looking towards a Messiah, supposedly. But the, these God followers valued their public ministry over their private devotion. We can't do that. Our private devotion has to come forth because when that stands tall in our life, meaning your quiet time, how you connect with God outside of this one hour, the hundred was the 168 hours in a week. The 167 matter more than the one. Now, the one's important, so don't, don't leave here and say, Pastor, I don't have to come to church. That false negative. <laughs> but that 167 is important because the 167 will dictate everything else. Right? How you lead yourself when nobody else is looking will determine how you lead when they are looking. So how you pray for your heart to be softened, for generosity, for the poor, that's going to be flushed out when somebody else is watching how you pray to love others when they don't, you don't always feel like they need to be loved. That will be fleshed out as you read in God's word and he molds you to be more like him. Don't expect to already have arrived because you gave your life to Jesus one day. That's not how it works. He says he refines us by his word. Be renewed, Romans 12. Like the thinking of your mind has to change and that only happens when it's washed over the word. Be like a tree planted next to a stream where the water's coming in and coming out and just moving through you. So if you're thirsty to look more like Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, to see the kingdom of God grow, then you should be thirsty to be alone with Jesus. Not just show up at a prayer gathering. And he's going he's gonna to dive into that. You might have read that text and say, what is a phylactery? I, gotta, I think I have a picture of some of these. So on the bottom right, you have this phylactery. So what these rabbis would wear, it was this little box on their forehead. And it had these nice little leather straps and all this. And what it was, these broad phylacteries that Jesus is kind of throwing them under the bus, they held scriptures. It's kind of like 
not the WWJD bracelets or anything like scripture, but it's kind of like if you wore a WWJD bracelet, which I do, because I have broad phylacteries at times. <laughs> it's kind of this idea, the bigger that is, the more you're like, yeah, you see, I love God, right? I got a WWJD bracelet. I got a He Would Love First. That's H-W-L-F, in case you hadn't seen that one. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek throwing myself on the bus here. But here's the thing. They'd walk around, and they would kind of use these phylacteries, these, these scripture-holding boxes, and, and the other, the other uh, names, excuse me, the long fringes. Uh, throw that picture back up for me. Those fringes on the left, it was kind of this, this badge of honor. Because the longer your fringes were, the, generally speaking, the, the wealthier your congregation was, your, your temple, the people you led, the, the higher up you were. And so they kind of walk around these cities going, that's right, I got a big box and long fringes, right? <laughs> and it was just this idea that I am somebody, I am important, so look at me. And Jesus says, they, they've got nothing to look at. These, these things were put in place by God. In Deuteronomy, he talks about wearing these things and using these things. But every single time they were put in, they weren't. So that the person would have other people looking at them. It's so that the person would say, look at God. And it would be a reminder to them. When I'm reaching my hand out and I'm about to get mad in road rage and I see WWJD, I go, yep, you're right. What would Jesus do? Right? What would, I, what, what, what would he have me do in this moment? And that's the purpose of those things. They, they weren't given to them as these self-righteous, you are so important, Rabbi. It was look to God. And that's what he's calling them out on. He's saying they weren't looking to me. He calls out these prideful, arrogant leaders and then shifts this conversation in, in the coming verses, verse 8, to talk to his disciples. He says, you are not called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven neither be called instructors for you have one instructor the Christ the greatest among you shall be servant whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalt, exalted now I want to give a point of clarification here because when you read that there, there could be some question marks the, the biggest one that kind of came to my mind is as I was reading it first glance was, okay, you're not called to be a rabbi. You're not supposed to have this. Jesus isn't saying that we can't have titles. He, he isn't standing here saying, hey, disciples, apostles, guys, we're going to start my church. You got to just be like no names. You can't have that. Think back to how he started this conversation. He started by talking about the, the seat of Moses, Moses' seat. And so what Jesus is calling his disciples to do is to recognize who is the teacher. Is it them or is it ultimately God? He's pointing back and he's saying the only person who sits on Moses' seat is me, is what Jesus says. It's him. He's the only one who the real word of God comes through in this moment. So, so when I preach and I, and I say, hey, let's turn our Bibles, there's Bibles in the back. And I say, my words don't matter. It's God that's God's that matter. This is kind of where it comes from. Because I've been gifted and called to unpack and to deliver the word of God. Not Chris's words. Mine are going to fail, falter. They don't matter. 
His word is eternal and supreme. It reigns above all. Jesus is calling for complete and total surrender to him. And anyone who lifts themselves, their church, their doctrinal views, or anything else above him is prideful. Anyone. The bottom line for today is that when we lose count of our own righteousness, we can freely walk in the sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ. When, when we lose count of this sense, as, as Garrett or somebody brings me that ladder over there, when, when we lose count of this idea that somehow we are better than someone else because God has saved us, in that moment, when we, when we can discard that and realize that Technically, truly, as a Christian, I'm really no better than a non-Christian. I've just been adopted, redeemed, and chosen by God. And I've decided to respond in faith to that. And that's the only thing that separates me from a non-Christian is that they haven't responded yet. Then and only then can we begin to see the goodness and the mercy and the sanctifying grace of Jesus. So here on this ladder... Let, let, let me paint this picture for you. Here's what the Pharisees were doing. And here's what you and I tend to do. So the Pharisees were extremely intelligent, generally speaking, wealthy leaders. They were rabbis. They had gone through education. They have done all these things. They, they had a, a prominent place in the community. And, and they're human. They're people. They, they're, they're just normal. I think sometimes we read scripture because Jesus throws the Pharisees under the bus so, so much. We, we kind of separate them from normal folk. But they're normal. They're you. Some of you got degrees and, and you're extremely intelligent and you got all the things. And so here's what, it, here's what it looks like. You went to undergrad in college. Right? This is the slippery slope. You, you, you summa cum laude, whatever, right? You're there. Then all of a sudden, you know, you, maybe I should get my master's, right? Maybe I should get a new car and a new house, white picket fence, get that dog, right? Right? And then somebody's going to come at some point and say, yeah, you know, here's how you really should do X. Shoot. Who are you to tell me how to do anything, right? I got this degree in this thing, and you stupid. Right? We don't say that, though, because we're church folks. Right? And, and here's what we do. We, we climb the ladder. As you get more experience in your field, that, think about the new guy at your job. They're done. Right? No matter if they're done or not. We have a tendency to look, you're a new guy. I, I worked in movie theater in high school. It was, uh, a, 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 I think we had 22 new movie theaters. I was the head usher. A lot of this, right? Big time, right? right? We every time we get a new guy, I, I tell him two things. This is just this is amazing right here, right? Number one, go clean theater number twenty-three. Now this is Regal Cinemas twenty-two. They work here. They got a job here, and they come up to me an hour later, sir. I, I just can't find theater number twenty-three. Yes, yeah, because it doesn't exist, dummy. Right? That's that's the first thing. Second thing, all right, now that, you, now that you failed that test, go change the water in the water fountain. And they go, and they be gone an hour and a half. And they're like, man, I just don't, how do, you, how do you do this thing? And I'm like, yeah, it's all right, rookie, 
right? You do this. You get a new guy at the job and you, hey, go get the coffee. Uh, uh, y'all gonna give me a Venmo number? Or coffee? No, just go get the coffee, bro. Uh, double latte. Give me a cheese Danish while you're there too, right? Pride, right? It's, it's a prank. It, it's, you know, it's whatever. It's all in fun is what we say. But there's this sense of they're not equal to us. Right? When a new guy comes, when a new girl comes to your office, the realtor, you, you show them the, the crappy office in the back with the brooms and you know, whatever. Right? It happens. But what God is calling us to do is to realize that accomplishments in life don't have to take us up the ladder. There's nothing wrong with a master's degree. There's nothing wrong with a PhD. There's nothing wrong with working hard and achieving. Matter of fact, he calls us to do those things. Those are fantastic things. They don't have to do this. They don't have to. Jesus says, know whose you are so that then you can go out and point people to what really matters. Because once you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. You'll find your identity. And pride is just this thing that we we put in this place because we're searching for an identity and we're going, Christ has given it to you. He's given you everything that you need. And so just as Jesus is calling us. No, that's the wrong quote up there. I'm reading my own daggum things. Wrong quote. Here's what God is calling you to do and calling the Pharisees. To stay down the ladder. To not climb up the ladder. To be successful in life. The Pharisees were extremely successful. The Pharisees had it all together. They had, they had prominence in the community. None of those things were prideful. It was what they did with those things that caused them to climb, climb the ladder and be prideful. They lost their zeal for Jesus. They lost their understanding for who God is. A famous pastor, actually, if you listen to the DC, DC Talk Jesus Freak album, a guy named Brennan Manning says this. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. When we lose count of our own righteousness, we can freely walk in the sanctifying grace of Jesus. Like when you and I can sit at the feet of God and know who he is and who he has called us to be, we don't have to climb the ladder and get puffed up like birds and say, I'm deserving of these things. We can be humble and we can go in stride in life and we can say, I know exactly who God's called me to be. No matter what swells of waves come, no matter what mountaintop great experiences, I'm going to remain humble, I'm going to remain hungry, and I'm going to thirst after the Word of God. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes in our life, He says, be humble and seek after me. And in those moments, because He's humbled us, He showed us, what does Paul say in Philippians 4? I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right before he gets to that verse in verse 13, he talks about all the lows and the highs he's been to. And he says, I can do all of these things because I've seen it all and I've been it all. And I find myself no longer in a prideful position, but a humble one. So be humble. Because when that happens, we can look out and we can, we can say to the world, it's well with my soul. No matter what happens, it is well. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word.
move in our hearts, in our lives. Allow us to be people of God who are humble, who are not prideful. Allow us to rest on your word and not the words of others. Allow us to to seek your kingdom first. Allow us to lose count of all of the things in our life that may bolster our proverbial resume that makes makes us sometimes think that we're 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 worthy of this or that god it's not that we're not necessarily unworthy but god it's it's more so that you are the reason any worth matters you breathe worthiness into the rest of this world when you sent your son jesus to die on the cross you declared that We have a value in your name and in your name alone. So God, if there's anyone in this room this morning that's struggling with their identity, struggling with who am I, struggling with bad choices or or whatever else is going on in life, God, I I just pray that your, your spirit would convict them and draw them back into or, or into for the first time, the understanding that you are sovereign, you are good. And you came, Jesus, so that we could be reunited with the Father. We could find our true purpose. We we could see through the eyes that you've called us to look through, rather than the eyes of this world and fallen flesh. God, help us to not climb the ladder. Help us to remain humble. You defeated pride at the cross. Let's lean in to what you have for us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.